Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Right, okay. Okay, let's jump into our series. Uh, I haven't spoken in multiple weeks. I want to thank you for the honor, the respect that you've shown our speakers. They have never been fill-in speakers. They have never been substitutes. Anytime we place somebody up here to speak to you, it's because we believe in them. We believe that they have the message for the moment. And we always treat that as sacred. And I'm telling you, our guest speakers, most of them in-house, have delivered some incredible stuff. Last week, we had just three great speakers. Uh, um, Abby Mowry spoke. Phenomenal job. Misty Falcon just nailed it. I mean, just crushed it out of the park. And uh, Jordan, I was looking for him. Jordan, phenomenal job last week. Why don't you give them a hand? Just great, great, great job. And I just got to admit, I'm a little bit rusty, but I have 18 points. So buckle up, because here we go, okay? I'm just going to dive right in. I've picked the character Job, and the reason why I picked the character Job for uh, the character traits that I want to emphasize to you today, they're character traits that we see in God our Father. That's why they're honorable. When we see godly characteristics exuded through a person's life, they inspire us. They, they stir us. We, 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 we lean forward and we're like, man, that's beautiful. I want to be more like that. Now, Job is one of those stories where you don't want to be like that. You don't want to go through what Job went through. But I grabbed a, a hold of him as a character because in my, my Bible reading, how many of you know it's important to read your Bible? Yes. Daily? Yes. Come, oh, come on. You got a little bit... <laughs> daily. And the beauty about today's day and age is if you read it daily, you're systematically studying the Word of God, learning the Word of God. You don't have to come to church to use this moment to learn the basics. Although we share basics, we teach basics. We don't start at Genesis chapter 1 and teach all the way through the end of Revelation, line by line, verse by verse, because that is acquirable, that knowledge is acquirable by you on a daily reading plan. And so what we do is we take scripture on the weekend and dial into what God is saying to here and now as it applies to culture, our lives, what God is whispering through his spirit to us. If you read the book of Revelation, there are seven different uh, messages to seven different churches at the same time. And as you study that, there are seven different messages to those seven different churches, right? The message preached to them was not starting at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and take three years to get all the way to, of course, it was only the Old Testament at that time. Why? God has a specific message for you on a daily basis. It doesn't change. It's consistent, and it tracks forward, but God has a different message for our church than another church. It never, it never contradicts Scripture, it always is confirmed by scripture, but it's so important that when we walk into a gathering like this, that we tap into, God's got a fresh thing to say to you, right? Um, in the same book of Revelation, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what? The entire book of the Bible? Yes, but hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. God's got a message for us at all times. This has been a really uh, wonderful series to be able to really deliver what God is saying for our church. And I hope to just be one of the good speakers that you've been able to enjoy. And so dive, dialing into Job, understand that the, book, the books of the Bible are not in a uh, sequential order. Do you know that the book of Job is probably the oldest book in the entire Bible? 
It's listed amongst what we call poetry books because of the way it's actually written. But Job lived about the time of Abram. And so when we read his story, it's actually one of the earliest accounts that we have in Scripture. It's all about the story about an, an incredibly godly man who's attacked by the devil. You hear what I said? Attacked by Satan. And in the process, his family died. He lost his business. And ultimately, he experienced in his body disease running sores, okay, poisonous, so painful that he was scraping himself for relief, but with pieces of pottery. And in the process, after a long season of suffering and discussions with four of his friends, who were awesome friends, they came, they showed up, they consoled him quietly for a week. But after a while, they couldn't take it anymore. They decided to deliver to him what they felt like God was saying about him, about his situation, his circumstances. And hear me for a second, they were dead wrong. But after hearing all they had to share, God showed up and the Bible says he saw God. How many of you have experienced, you've seen God, you've experienced him? There's that moment, you were in church, you did not expect it. You thought, I'm just going to be a good boy, good girl. And, and all of a sudden, in the middle of somewheres, it's like something got pumped into the room. Whoa, what's, what is that? And you experience the tangible presence of God. And so Job experiences that. And in that moment, it wasn't just for a feel-good. In that moment, there was a revelation, a deeper understanding that could not be found on facts.com or Snopes on the Internet. He experienced a brand-new revelation about God for his life. And so you watch his life. He was an incredibly godly man. But after this trial and experiencing God, he takes a step forward in his walk with God to become an even stronger, more godly man and impact the world in an even greater way. Um, he encountered God in a way where everything was restored that he lost twofold. And from there on, he lived a long and fruitful life, blessed by God. So let me point out a couple of the characteristics that stand out to me. Number one characteristic is that he lived what I call God first life. That's the way Job lives. It's God first and everything else second. Amen? Amen. He decides that God is number one in my life. We read that in the scripture in Job chapter one, it, verse one, it mentions that he's blameless. He's upright. He feared God. He turned away from evil. I love the messages version of this. It says he was honest inside and out. In other words, when you saw him at work, it was the same dude that you saw on the pew on Sunday morning. He wasn't like, oh, praise God, and then scheming to do something corrupt at work, steal the company's toilet paper, right? He was the same guy at all times. If he had had a camera on him in his home, he acted the same way in private as he did in public. He was, he was true. And this was not just part of his personality. It's the byproduct of making God first in his life. And that's a real key that I want you to grab onto this. The idea of God being first in your life is a decision. It's not a component of your personality. I've watched some of the least godly people I've ever met, some of them in my own family, who had an encounter with God and then was, were faced with a decision, what am I going to do with this encounter? And they said, you know what, I'm going to make God first in my life. And what happened is making God first began to write, rewrite the pages of their life. And their lives began to reflect more and more the life of Job. Job's life was blameless and blessed by God, not by circumstance, not by chance, not because of his personality, comes down to a choice to make God first. And how many of you know that that choice is always tested? There's no such thing as a choice that's not tested. 
What makes it a choice is the testing of that choice. And it's that monumental decision and then the incremental choices over a lifetime to continue to lean into that decision. You know, Job feared God, Job feared God and he was totally devoted to God because it was God first in his life. And that looks like something tangible. I loved when Jen was talking about this morning about acknowledging God. It's a decision. It's a decision to make God first in this moment. And so God first in Job's life looks like something specific. Number one, there was nothing that came between Job and God. No thing divided him from God. There was nothing in his life that was more important than God first. And when tested, the thing testing him lost every single time. I love this characteristic because I find things testing my relationship with God regularly, especially the last two years. Constantly, things wanting to bump me and to nudge me and to move me around, to, to draw back in fear, to run away. Anybody want to run away in the last year or two? Like, like do the whole hobo backpack stick with the little sack and just run away to an adventure until this all gets back to some sense of normal? Yeah, but that's, uh, that, that pushing is to push you off of the God-first life. And there are things, actual things in your life that are going to want to push you off of God first after you make the decision. It certainly happened in Job's life. He lost all of his possessions. He lost his business. And you are going to be challenged in the God first life by your career. You're going to be challenged by all sorts of different small things that are going to want to, the opportunity for more money, career advancement, personal pleasure are going to challenge the God first life. How many of you love you some Chick-fil-A? I know it's not really the food, it's the sauces, right? How many of you go to Chick-fil-A and you accidentally take too many packets so that you can bring the extras home, right? Some of you, I know some of you are like, you're like, Pat's like, no, 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 that, that would be wrong. Some of you are like, yeah, it's a gray area. I've been praying about it and I feel like the Lord's pleased with my Chick-fil-A sauce on my cereal. It's buffalo sauce. Um, here's a great story about uh, uh, Truett Cathy, who was the founder of Chick-fil-A. One of the standout characteristics, he, he was a godly man. He was a Christian. And when he started his company, he made the decision to be closed on a Sunday. All the other big burger places and all the big restaurants, they were open on a Sunday. But Truett Cathy made a decision that he was going to be closed on a Sunday. Why? Twofold reason. He wanted to give a day of rest to every employee. And every employee said, amen, right? What a beautiful thing. He also said, I want to give the chance for every one of my employees to be in the house of God on a Sunday. And I said this, he said, I can't guarantee they will be in the house of God on a Sunday, but I can guarantee if I'm open for business, those who are working won't. I mean, that's a great vision to provide the opportunity for God to show up in people's lives. It's incredible what he did. And here was what he was doing is he was saying in his business, his business God first before money. And he made this declaration, God will do more income in our restaurants in six days than all of our competitors in seven. Yeah. And it's proven when you stand out in line for 30 minutes with that very well lubricated machine of flaggers who probably need to go to a foreign country right now and help things politically, but expediting the flow of people. Amen. God blessed Truett Cathy because... He made God first. That looks like something. 
And there's going to be opportunities for resources, for advancement in jobs that are going to test your God first. I know for me, that was tested when I was in college. I, Rowena was an A student just by showing up. I was barely a B student with effort. And so I would stay up late, do some of my research, and do some of my studies, but I made, I made this rule for myself. After 10 o'clock, there's no more studying. You can go to the chapel to pray, but there's no more studying. If you can't get it by now, tough. You'll just fail. You'll fail out of Bible college and life, and you'll be a loser. And, you know. But I'm going to trust God. And so very often, because I don't sleep you know, on, the, on the blink of an eye, at 10 o'clock, I put away my homework, and I still graduated, but I would go over and pray. And I just felt like, for me, this prayer time is more important than getting an A+. And so it's, it's this idea of trusting God, of saying, God, I'm going to trust you with the outcome by honoring you, even though that in honoring you, it looks like it's going to work against me. For those of you who gave this morning, you took a resource that you have that's valuable, and you gave it to God. You didn't give it to me. You didn't give it to the church. In essence, you did. But ultimately, you've given it to the Lord. And what I hope your perspective is, like Truett Cathy, God can do more with 90% of the money that's left in my pocket than if I retained 100%. That's God first. And that's what I've experienced. And that's what I pray that you would experience. And I would challenge you to lean heavily into that. This idea that if we put God first, the outcome will be better than, than the shortcut that this world is offering me. Amen? Awesome. People choose things over God all the time. They choose money, career advancement, personal pleasure, but Job didn't allow that. Job also did not allow any person to come between him and God. And I promise you there's many people in your lifetime who maybe have not made a pact in a back room, cutting their hand and shaking hands with the devil to be used of the devil in your life, but there are people who are going to show up inadvertently, not intentionally, but are going to be used by the enemy to divide you and God. You've been used that way a few times. Come on, look around. We're, it, I mean, the apostle Peter was used that way. The apostle Paul, everybody but Jesus worked against the things of God in people's lives. And so there will be people that come into your life that at key moments, okay, will, if you're not careful, will pry you away from God. It's as a youth pastor for years, I'd watch teenagers get all fired up on God. And then, you know, Mrs. Woo walks into the room and this young guy who's never had a girlfriend before and just hoping somebody will like him at some point, watches Mrs. Woo walk into the room. And all of a sudden that can divide and become the bigger relationship than the relationship with that person in God. You've never seen that happen before? Here's one of the things I've always respected about, about, about Rowena, my wife, is that she's always loved God more than me. She loves me well, but if I stop serving God today, I can promise you she'll still be here tomorrow without question. And that is a, an inspiring thing, and that's a valuable thing because God first always, always works out better down the road. You know, as you look at a life that's God first, you see Job's wife tried to divide him from God. As things fell apart in his life, she looks at him and she says, what's the point of being righteous and all of our giving and all of our serving where we find ourselves bankrupt and our children are gone, you should curse God and die. Anybody in the last year and a half, you've had somebody like that in your world. Man, I love the people who are like, listen, keep going. 
They kicked on the rocky thing. Dun, 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 dun. You like my dance moves, don't you? I'll be teaching a class later on. I'll be, comp- I'll be meeting at the park competing with Jade's class. I'm sure you're going to want my class more. But people will kick on that Rocky theme and challenge you to, to stay with God and to win and to give it all you got and to fly and to take a chance on God. Job looked at his wife and she said, curse God and die. You know what he said? You were, I, I think this is the uh, cleansed version of his response where he said, you're talking like a foolish woman. I think there was a shut up and a, uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, I, uh, I see some moms cringing out there already. Shut up is a bad word in our house. It was in our house too. Um, so no person came between Job and God. I would really challenge you. Is that desire for someone's attention or the validation of a group more important than honoring God? It's really interesting in our culture what we are being fed on a daily basis, which is behavior that's loving towards the community. But if loving the community requires me to be disobedient to God, it will never happen. There's not an amount of money that's large enough. There's not an opportunity that's valuable enough to cause, should not be, to cause us to look at God and say, God, I know your word says X, Y, Z, but they're not going to like me anymore. You know, and, and this takes, this peer pressure takes all sorts of different forms and fashions throughout our lives. When you were in the seventh grade, you could be a winner if you just did certain things to be in the in club. And guess what? The in-club has just gotten a little bit older and have official name plates to say they're the in-club, do what we say, what we require. Always measure your life against the word of God. Are you, come on, this is good amens. Look, elbow the person next to you. And l- let me say this, it, not just because it honors God. Let me give you a couple other reasons why you always want to be God first. I mean, God's going God's to look down and he's going to love on you because you made him first. But it also gives a better reflection to the people around you of who God really is as you do the things that God wants you to do. Job honored God's word as well. There was no truth that got between him and God's truth. I mean, our world is flushing out a whole lot of stuff. They're saying, this is truth. This is our truth. This should be your truth. Listen, you got your truth, I got my truth, but there's one truth that's the word of God and everything else bows at the word of God. Culturally, what's relevant and what's acceptable, listen, we need to be loving and kind, but the Bible's really clear about a number of things. I know sometimes if I lie, it will get me ahead, but what does the Bible say? Thou shalt not, what? Let me hear it. Say it again. Lie. Lie, okay. And so leaning into the truth of God, Job refused to allow his friend's truth to get in between him and God because he was God first. And so again, you know, leaning forward into our lives, it might feel like doing what God says or what God requires is actually keeping me from the thing that's most valuable. But the truth is, it's a shortcut that will keep you from actually experiencing God's very best. You know, because guess what? You rob that bank or you, you steal from your company and you think that they, they don't see what you're doing. Yes, now you've got the money that you really needed, but the problem is there's law enforcement down the road with your picture and your address coming for you. But when you look at the opportunity to steal, and even though everything is saying, hey, take this, if, if this wasn't God's will, you wouldn't have this temptation. Anybody you've ever heard that in your mind? 
well, I guess this is God's will. Otherwise, it wouldn't be here. Really? Okay. But if you say yes to God and say no to the thing that is out of sync with God's word, guess what? The reward always comes after. The best life always is realized. And I have found that every time I've given away the 10% or I've said no to the temptation, I'm going to trust God for his real reward, time goes by and things circle around and you find yourself sitting in a moment where you're like, oh my gosh, this is my payday of God's goodness in my life. Amen? Are you, are you, come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? There is a payday. The Bible says you will reap what you sow. If you make God first in your life, you will reap time and time and time again. That's like two of you. Did we put Diamond Tap in the coffee this morning? Come on. You clap last three weeks for everybody. Here, this is a, this is a key scripture. The, the Bible in Matthew 6.33 makes this incredible promise. This is a God-first promise. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what will happen? All these things will be added unto you. What are all these things? Well, if you were to back up in the chapter, the disciples, the people in the crowd were all worried about, how am I going to get my next job? How am I going to pay for the house? How am I going to raise my kids? All of life's worries were bombarding these people. And God, through Jesus, Jesus, God, expressed to the people, if you put me first, guess what? These things will fall into place. Amen? amen. Come on. Amen. That's good. Right? So, thank you. I appreciate it. I need some help here. God first doesn't guarantee a problem-free life. Just look at Job. But if you just focus on chapter 2 through chapter like 40, you're going to see a period. Now, that's a lot of chapters, but it's a, it's a overall for a man that lived a couple hundred years. It's a short period of time. It's like seventh grade. But you make God first in seventh grade, you'll find that in eighth grade and beyond, the residual payoff, all these things will be added unto you. Amen. So time after time in my life, while it's been challenging to keep God first in key moments, in keeping him first, the payoff is amazing. If for nobody else, make God first so that you can experience your best life. God first makes you a better business owner. Talk to Truett Cathy. Talk to other believers that we know that own businesses. It'll make you a better spouse. You know, if God is first, you will actually treat your wife correctly. Because if you don't, you'll be dealing with him. That's the beauty of God first. God first then lines things up behind you that as you follow, they fall into place. And guess what? There's a blessing on the life for the man who honors his wife. Scripture teaches that. You know, if you don't treat your wife right, which is out of sync with God first, the Bible says some of your prayers end up hindered. God's like, yeah, I want to answer that prayer once you, get in, get, once you get in alignment with me. Okay, enough of that. All right, character trait number two. And I just love this. We were talking about this from the beginning. Uh, Pastor Rowena starting off the, our gathering about transformation to, to how we pray today. That one of the beauties that we see in Job's life, though he was a righteous man, he was not a perfect man, but his walk with God allowed him not to 
modify his behavior. It allowed his heart to be transformed. Amen. I don't know about you, but before my relationship with God, I tried to make lots of changes in my life that lasted for about a week. And then, and then my New Year's resolution wore off. Anybody? I'm going to exercise more. I'm going I'm to save more money. I'm going to grow hair. You know, whatever it is that you decided that you were going to do in your life, right? And that willpower, some people are able to really dial in, and sometimes there's great motivators. But I find in many of the issues of life, the truth is we act the way we do because of the condition of our heart. And what really needs to happen is my heart needs to change because if my heart changes, then my behavior will change. I, I read this amazing article about a man who, for years, he had been really overweight, and then his wife had a baby. And looking at his two-year-old two toddler, he made up his mind, I want to be there for his graduation. I want to be there for his marriage. And he, he, was, he, was, he was very heavy. And in the process, he made up his mind that I'm going to press in for my son. And there was a heart change because of his son. In the process, over the next year, he got a Peloton bike. He began riding. His goal was to get down to 220 pounds. He blew past that, 180 pounds, and it, like fit as a fiddle, and now able to pick up his son and, and, take, and enjoy his son. Something changed within his heart. And this is what I love about God. God when he gets a hold of our heart, he's able to change our heart, which then changes our perspective and then changes our behavior. I mean, the, the, really what needs to happen for you to become a generous person, yeah, sure, give. But if your heart doesn't change, you're going to be give begrudgingly. You're going to do what God wants because I have to. And that makes God into a big meanie in the sky who's demanding you to be tortured. And, and your Christian walk's going to be miserable. But one of the beautiful things that Job experienced, even though he was righteous but not perfect, he had some wrong attitudes, he had some wrong opinions. Do you know that he kind of blamed God for what the devil did in his life? How many people do you know that are like, what kind of loving God would allow this to happen to me? I mean, Job was actually, in a way, some of his friends were saying that. And do you know that that wrong heart will actually radically impact your experience in life? But when there's a revelation that that's not God doing this in my life, it's the enemy, it's the devil, all of a sudden something riles up and you change your posture and your life begins to change because you're now operating on a transformation that has happened because you saw God and he changes your heart and then it causes you to act a new way. Believe it or not, that's actually the definition of repentance. A lot of people think repentance is about me saying, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. And God's saying, okay. You're off the hook. That's not repentance. Repentance is this moment where God shows me there's a better way. And I say, you know what? I, I'm going to believe you. And I turn and I do God's new thing that he's revealed to me. That's what repentance is. And that happens in Job's life. In Job 42, he, after, at the end of all of the trial, at the end of all of his friends saying what they did, God shows up and he says, God, I, I now see that you could do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have uttered what I did not understand. In other words, half the stuff that I said before was slightly off. It was. 
You listen to Job's discourse. Be careful about reading the book of Job and other portions of scripture. Like, oh yeah, it says it in the Bible that God, that God was torturing me. I mean, David the psalmist says that several times. God wasn't torturing him. He was describing how he felt. Job was describing how he felt. And God showed up and said, actually, you're off. And God showed him it was Satan who had worked this in his life, that God was for him. And then because of that revelation, seeing God, his heart changed, and he stepped into his new future. What thing in your life is needing some adjustment? What, what, what posture in your life is incorrect that's keeping you from experiencing all that God has for you? I know one thing. That's one of the beauties of coming into a room like this together standing with our hands raised, singing to the heavens, experiencing God's presence. I don't know about you, but there's always these adjustments that happen in me as we gather to worship. There's always, as somebody speaks, there's always an adjustment. It's like heaven whispers to me and says, Steve, you're a righteous man, but you're not a perfect man. You need to make this adjustment. I'm like, I didn't even realize that. I didn't realize God, that I wasn't trusting you. God, I didn't realize that I was bitter at that person. God, I didn't realize that my behavior comes across as unloving. And so here in the house of God, I'm able to adjust. And so if you've known me for any length of time, the Steve that stands before you is not the same Steve that was five years ago and should be being perfected. And it's beautiful. And being part of a church family over the long haul, I can look out in some of your lives and Man, you're not perfect, but it's been amazing to watch God perfect you. Not you change your behavior, because that would be great, but you couldn't have changed what's changed in your life. It's been literally an encounter with God. That's why we sing. That's why we challenge you to raise your hands, to lift them up, to sing out, to pray, to pray out loud. The reason why we're aggressive in our worship, it's not hands in pockets, lean back, let the team do all the entertainments. No, you step in because we want you to be able to say, like Job did, but now my eyes see you. Isn't it incredible when God gives you a revelation, something you couldn't see before of who he actually is? of what he wants to do in your life. Some of you used to believe that God was just plain old stingy and you were just gonna make it through with just barely enough in life. Why should I even ask God? It would be wrong for me to ask God for help. After all, I don't live in a third world country. Well, no, you don't, but you have not because you ask not and you need to boldly come before the throne of grace. And to ask God for help is a thing he's commanded you. He wants to bless you. Anybody? Some, some of you have a hard time with actually owning that. But here's my confidence, that you will own it as Job did when you see the Lord face to face. Our time together is not about running through a lesson and singing a couple songs and checking some boxes so that when we walk out, we can say we were good boys and girls today. It's so that on a regular basis, we have an encounter with God. If you think that we're outfitting a facility just so that we can have a home base, you're missing the mark on what this is really all about. What we're building over there is an atmosphere where people will step in and have an encounter with God. God inhabits the praises of his people. We will never be one of these dead churches that doesn't clap, doesn't raise our hands, doesn't sing out loud. You know why we won't? 
Number one, I'm not coming if that's what we become. I don't have it. But it, for the bigger reason, not so that you just do what we want you to do, it's because God inhabits what? It doesn't say God inhabits your, your thinking happy thoughts. Pious. Mm. What are you doing, Pastor Steve? Oh, I'm, I'm radiating my worship up. I'm beaming it up to the heavens. You know why God wants you to sing out loud? I know you got a lousy voice. I've heard it. You've heard mine. It's lousy. You know why you need to sing out loud? Because the atmosphere changes when you start to sing. There are angels in the supernatural realm that begin to, they're, they're, they're ministers, they're servants to our lives. The spiritual climate in this community changes as we gather and we sing and we pray and we worship. We're not throwing up a, oh dear God, I hope something changes. When we prayed this morning, we pushed back because of the atmosphere that we create. You know that there's an atmosphere of faith? And there's some places that ain't no atmosphere of faith. You know what makes the difference? You. And it's not just you just showing up into it. You can show up into it and actually become a thermometer and the atmosphere will dial you down. That's what happens to some of you on work on a Monday. You know how you change the atmosphere? You become the thermostat. And you step in and you dial it up to high and you walk in and say, good morning. Of course, the natural reaction has to work. What's so good about this morning? It sucks. We got to be at work. Thank God we got a job, baby. Well, they don't pay me what I'm worth. You get more than you would. Well, I was going to say unemployed, but maybe that's not true these days. <laughs> Listen, and that will come back to bite us. I promise you, it already is. Come on, stand up with me. Stand with me. How many of you desire, let's think it just in terms of best life. You already got good life. What if it was better? Job, when he started off, he had a bunch of kids and he had a bunch of property and he had a bunch of business and he was well-liked. But do you know at the end of his life, he had double and God brags on that. For those of you who struggle with this whole prosperity thing, listen, God gets no glory from poverty. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Heaven will have no lack, okay? For us to think somehow it's spiritual to be poor is crazy. It's the enemy's, uh, the enemy's, plus, uh, uh, I was going to say placebo, but it, it's, it's effective. We, we drink that in and think, well, you know, I could be more spiritual if I have nothing. No, you can't. You could just be more broke. But a godly heart that's blessed, God celebrates that there's increase. Come on, why? Because Job can walk in blessing and bless more people. He can share with others. And so he leans forward. And that's possible because his heart is transformed. Amen? Come on, God's got better life for you. He's got better marriage for you up ahead. He's got better resources. He's got the better ability to parent. He's got the better ability for you to be an effective person in the community, effective person in the kingdom. How? You need to be transformed. Come on, you need to see God more and more regularly, more often, in increasing moments. Some of you ladies, in a few months, uh, maybe a month, are going to get on an airplane. And you are flying into an atmosphere that will be on steroids. 
that someday our church will function at that level. We're just a, a shadow of that at this point. Our church is a great church. These guys are our big brother on steroids. And you're going to step into that atmosphere and things are going to shift in your heart and you're going to begin to believe things about your future, about your marriage, about your kids, about your finances. They're going to shift. You're going to be able to see things as if they were that are not yet. And you know what's going to make the difference? The atmosphere. And so we're building, not a building, so that we can be safe from the... I see some of you trying to... The tent's blowing around this morning. I see people bracing the tent. Listen, we're not building a building so that that can happen. We're building a building so that people can step into an atmosphere where the world all week long has been said, you're a loser, you're going to fail, you're going to lose what you have, you better hold on to it. You know what? They're coming for you, and they're going to step into an atmosphere that says, God is for you. He is with you. He is helping you. He loves you. He wants to transform you. He's not against you. Amen? Come on, if you believe that, hands up all over this room. Come on, step into his presence with me right now. You can make God's presence tangible with your own hands, with your own eyes, with your own mouth right now. Right now, I want you to out loud invite heaven. I want you to say, God, I love you. He inhabits this praise of his people. Out of your lips, let praise come out. Come on, right now. You maybe have never done this in public, but I'm telling you, this is a key decision just to say, God, I love you out loud. Not happy beaming thoughts up to the heavens. God can use your quietness for sure. But right now, he inhabits the praises of his people. Come on, I want you to pray out loud. Father, we love you in this place. We shift the atmosphere in this place because God, you desire to do great things in our lives. God, you desire to set us free. God, you desire to give us fresh vision. God, you desire to do new things through us. You desire to download spiritual gifts that break bondage in the lives of other people. But God, it requires transformation. We love the transformation of Job. He went from what he had to way more. God, to being more effective. And we desire that for our lives in Jesus' name. I want you to do me a favor. Stop right where you're at. If you know the person next to you, I want you to turn. If you don't know the person next to you, don't do this. It'll get weird. But I want you to out loud pray for the person next to you. I want you to pray real clearly for blessing and for favor. This might be the first time for some of you have ever prayed out loud, okay? About 30 seconds, pray for the person. Don't pray in a group where everybody just mumbles. Shane, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not calling you. I'm just saying this to everybody, okay? I want the person next to you to hear your voice speaking blessing over their life, amen? Don't pull that thing where there's three people just all blending in. You pray over someone, okay? And if you don't know how to do it, just say to the person next to you, I don't know how to do this. Okay, if you don't know how to do this, it's okay. We're going to show you how to do it. Okay, 30 seconds, go. Pray blessing over them. Father, we love you. I speak blessing over your people. God, I speak blessing over your sons, your daughters, your young, your old. Blessing over the sick. God, blessing over the righteous. Blessing over the unrighteous. People who have yet to experience you, God, on a deep level. God, I speak blessing over their lives. God, your desire is for them. You proclaimed in your word. This is the day of the Lord's favor. God, you're wanting to help them. You're wanting to bless them. You're wanting to align them according to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you, the next person, you pray over that other person. They didn't get to hear you pray. Now you pray for them. Let's pray. 30 seconds. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, thank you for your goodness. I speak blessing and life over my friend, over my family member. God, your very best. A revelation of this moment. God, that they step in, they experience you, they see you. Their lives are blessed and transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand. Uh. Thanks for listening. 
To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.